You're listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest-growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond. Don McLean is a Grammy Award honoree, a Songwriter Hall of Fame member, and his history-making iconic smash hit, American Pie, resides in the Library of Congress, National Recording Registry, and was named a top five song of the 20th century by the Recording Industry of America. And his catalog of songs has been recorded by Madonna, Garth Brooks, Josh Groban, even Drake and Weird Al Yankovic, and of course the king himself, Elvis Presley, and many others. And Don McLean has sold over 50 million records. He received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, celebrating the 50th anniversary of American Pie, recorded a version of the song with a acapella group, Home Free, and he wrote The American Pie, The Fable Children's Book. And with the new film documentary, The Day the Music Died, is out now and is a definite must-see. One thing for sure, Don McLean is not slowing down. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome the legend, the icon, the master of the American musical story, the one and only Don McLean. Welcome to the show. Thank you for that. What an introduction. Thank you so much. Well, Don, I have been literally playing American Pie and all of your other songs literally on repeat since I watched your film documentary, which is absolutely stellar. Gee, you know, um, it was a community effort. It was uh, Spencer Proffer, Kurt Webster, myself, and of course the movie filmmaker, um, Mark Mormon, really made that movie, but we all put our two cents in and contributed to it. But he, Mark Mormon is the man who made the movie, uh, but it was, he allowed us to get involved. And because I, you know, I have a particular connection to the subject, um, uh, I, I, I told him I would only say if I didn't like something, that I would basically leave them alone because they're, they know what they're doing. And, uh, you know, it's even the last time I saw it, it, it had changed quite a bit from the time before. Um, yeah, a lot of, of, of nice things were done and, and added. And uh, there's some lovely string work or in the movie also, which was done by a guy that uh, works with Mark. I don't know his name, I'm sorry to say, but nice you know gives it a little elegance so this was the first time that the entire story was told as to how i got around to doing this and what the circumstances were in the country and uh it it opened the door therefore for me to to sit down with the guitar and really talk about the lyrics, what I was thinking of, you know, it's been 50 years and I'm sure I was thinking of a lot of other stuff, but I forgot it. But uh, there were a number of things later on that I remembered as well. So yeah, I did my best to, uh, to talk about it and to tell what I was thinking. Well, you know, your song American Pie takes the listener on a roller coaster of America from the 1950s into the end of the 1960s but there is something about American Pie 
that makes it one of the most timeless songs. Why is that? Well, the record, the chorus, the melody, the words, all that made it into a successful recording, but the song is written in a timeless way. It's written like a fable or like some sort of a, a myth. Uh, and I wanted to get that quality in the song because America is a myth. You know, it's a big, big, powerful country. And, uh, you know, it's funny because we think about America in terms of a lot of the mistakes that we've made, and, and we've certainly made plenty, but we forget all the great stuff and the great heart that the people have. You just have to look at, you know, New York City after 9-11 and uh, the way the city responded so nobly and bravely uh, to what happened. But uh, there are a lot of questions that need to be answered. And I hope people will go back to the 60s and ask about JFK and Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy and others and ask about 9-11. There's a lot of questions that need to be answered about these things. Yeah, I agree. Because as I watched the documentary, The Day the Music Died, ladies and gentlemen, it's out now on Paramount Plus, so you can watch it. Uh, and also the song American Pie. I mean, when you wrote the song, and I loved when you brought it up about the documentary, you were taking us line by line and telling us what you were thinking. When you wrote this song, did you know in your heart that you had a hit, a hit song? I'd never had a hit song, so I didn't know what a hit was. <laughs> you know, all I knew is I had a, a really good album. That was what I was after. I think uh, Vincent, even if it had been, uh, if that had been the title of the album, Starry, Starry Night, Vincent would have gone to the top 10 without American Pie. So there were, you know, uh, in those days, there was a lot of room on the charts for slow ballads, uh, like, you know, Killing Me Softly and uh, these kinds of so Yesterday, you know, songs like that. Now, um... Over the last uh, 50 years, American Pie continued to hit the charts in every decade. What has surprised you the most about its longevity? You know, I just really don't understand it, but it seems to be a song that people value and that they like to use. And it makes a kind of a statement. And believe me, with this movie, this song is coming back bigger than it ever was. I mean, it's going to be humongous. It's been sort of late waiting, you know, for this moment. Um, and I think the story uh, in the movie is a story that America can use now. I think it's a good story for us to realize, you know, how much music means to us, how much we have to struggle through so many things. And even personally in the movie, how much I had to struggle to get this thing made. <laughs> the producer didn't like me. The guys couldn't play the songs, you know. I was surrounded by faint praise everywhere, you know. Um, and I didn't care. I knew what I wanted and I was going to get it. And I had to fight everybody. And then it was eight and a half minutes long, you know, and the record company went out of business. I mean, I'm telling you, it was 
It was a lot of things. Well, I think good things come to those who wait, but I think for all of us as fans of American Pie, I'm glad you never gave up to get that song recorded. And as I watched the documentary, and ladies and gentlemen, seriously, this is one of the best music documentaries you will ever see. And I've seen plenty of them. This one rates Thank at you. the top. And Thank you so much for saying that. I, I, I'm very proud of it. Well, well, Donna, you know, I love the way that you broke down the song line by line. I, I love to hear about, like you had just said, the, the struggle of getting the song recorded. And when I go back, I, even again, before our interview today, I, I played American Pie. I played Vincent. One of my all-time favorite songs for me was actually Castles in the Air. And because they're just all beautiful songs. But when it comes to American Pie, you can literally hear people across the country coming together to sing it. And, and as I was watching the documentary, I think one of the elements of that was when you found out that Garth Brooks sang American Pie at all of his concerts. But in 1997, he held the concert in New York Central Park. Had you come out on the stage to sing American Pie, what was it like to hear over 500,000 people sing along with you? Well, you know, like you said, I had been hearing uh, from the 80s for about 10 years. And each time I would hear about Garth, they would say he was playing bigger and bigger places. So he was growing all the time, getting more fans and uh, having more hits and whatever. And uh, then I heard he was going to do this thing in New York. Everybody heard about this. And then a fax came over my fax machine back in fax days, and we had faxes. And it said he wanted me to, to be on the show. And I just about died. You know, I said, well, I don't know if I belong on a show like this, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, if he wants me, I'll do it. So talked on the phone with him. We uh, made a little plan, you know, for he would sing this and I would sing that, whatever. He introduces me. I come out. The plan goes out the window, okay? <laughs> I just went up and said, let's sing it again. And we start singing it. And then I think I sang a verse or two and a couple of choruses, and that was the end. And uh, then Garth takes over and has the audience sing it and everything else. But he is uh, so magnanimous and generous with his praise and his uh, even saying that singing that song that night was the crowning you know, jewel of his career. I thought that was really very nice of him. Yeah, when I was watching the documentary and I was paying very close attention to every second of that film and as it moved along and to, and to tell the story about uh, the Big Bopper and Buddy Holly and Richie Valens and, and just seeing it intersect with your song American Pie, what was it like singing your song American Pie at the Surf Ballroom in Clear Lake, Iowa? Well, they call that the day the music died now. I didn't have anything to do with that. that I, I think they mentioned in the movie a certain disc jockey started to do that. Uh, we who love Buddy Holly and, and the Big Bopper and Richie Valens and we who are obsessed with this tragedy, 
And I suppose I certainly was one of them, even though I was only 13 or 14 years old, I had this obsession about this and I wanted to know more. It was very personal. And uh, something, a lot of, a number of other wonderful artists have died, you know, young in plane crashes and car crashes and and God knows what. And it, it hasn't done what this did to me. Um, and I carried it with me for so long. And when I didn't really know what to do with it, you know, but I knew when I decided to write this American song, this American dream, whatever you want to call it, the first part of the song just came to me and suddenly I had Buddy Holly beginning this song. I thought, you know, I've, I've got something here. I can, I finally captured him this, the poignancy of the feeling. That's why the song is, the first part of the song has got to be beautiful. It's dramatic. It sets up the rest of the song because of this sad thing that happened. I had it, you know, and I, I'm fairly good dramatist when it comes to music. I know, you know, uh, I, I know I use a lot of devices uh, in my music and on stage even um, to reach people. Um, and sometimes it works better than others, but this worked out right. And, I, and I, I chose the right producer, even though he didn't think I had any talent and he didn't like my songs very much. Um, he just basically said he needed a job. And uh, it took a while for me to get through to him that, well, maybe you need a job, but you're going to do this job the way I want it. Because this is my record and it's going to be the way I want it. And I don't care, you know, and we had a lot of fights you know, about stuff, you know, and they're glossed over, you know, in the movie, but they were ongoing and intense. Yeah, I, I know I picked that up in the film and I always love the stories that uh, like you and other recording artists and songwriters talk about being in the studio and the stories that happen to get these songs done. And y'all were having a problem trying, I guess, trying to find that special sound, that special vibe for American Pie. But then you brought yeah. in a gentleman, Paul Griffin, uh, right. to play piano, and then it just opened up the, the whole song into a, a well, new Ed, area. Ed, 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 uh, Ed Freeman did that. I didn't know Paul Griffin from, from Adam. Ed Freeman brought him in at the last minute and he just wailed because he was listening to my acoustic guitar and his earphones and I'm pounding that thing. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a pretty good finger picker and I'm a good acoustic guitar player, rhythm player. I drive my whole group. It's what I do. And he just jumped all over that thing and suddenly everybody had a groove they could play on, but they didn't know what the groove was. Like I said in the movie, it sounded like a polka for about uh, two weeks. I said, this is a disaster. I, I went, I wasn't holding back. I was really scared that we were going to end up going in the studio and making a really a, a terrible recording. So he really, and I'm so glad this story is in this movie because he saved that record and I want him to get that credit that he deserves. Well, well, Don, so how frustrating, how frustrating was it you 
to, to be in that studio, you know the essence of this song. You want it done right. Um, what was, you know, you said there was a lot of arguments and going back and forth with the producer on getting it right. Was it hard for you to convey the message or the vibe you were wanting, but he just couldn't get it? Well, here's the thing. I was a man alone, ganged up on by a producer and a bunch of guys in the studio. The producer hired those guys. So these guys are, are tight, you know? These guys are winking. These guys are saying little things. I'm picking up on this, that there's all this hostility or, you know, subliminal hostility toward who does he think he is type stuff, right? I have to overcome that. You know, I, you know after a while, I, I, I just look, this is going to be the way I want it. It's my record, and you're going to do what I tell you, and I don't care whether you like it or not. <laughs> so once again, you know, Don McLean is difficult, you know. But, uh, you know, you just don't realize that uh, it, it's, it used to be so simple. It, it, when, if you were a pop singer, let's say you were anybody on Capitol Records, you'd go in, they'd pre present you with Nat Cole, right? They, he'd choose his material from a lot of new songs that were being written, maybe something you heard somewhere. He'd go in, have a Dave Cavanaugh, one of those capital producers would be there, wonderful. He'd have Billy May or he'd have Gordon Jenkins or whatever. Arrangements would be written. He goes in and does the session and that's it. They make a beautiful record. They take a picture. When we came along in the 60s, this, we were supposedly anti-establishment and establishment music was anything that had to do with the system meaning the studio system. And that's how they made records and that's how they made films of the studio system, which worked very well. And so we were left on our own to do everything. I go in the studio, I've got to pick the producer. I've got to make the arrangements. I've got to write the songs. I've got to sing the songs, okay? I've got to make all the suggestions about what I want, what I don't want. It's all on the artist, you know? So it was really much easier before and I think most of the time you got a better result because I don't, you know, it, it, most artists don't know about any of those areas. You know, they don't know how to express themselves. I don't like it or I don't like what I'm hearing or what does that mean? <laughs> you know, they want to hear, you know, decibels and herds and megahertz and stuff, you know, uh, engineer talk. So it was, uh, like I, I had this sound in my head and Ed, you know, I think Ed got to it because there's not that much on that record. You know, there are only five guys. Well, you when know, guitar, bass, drums, piano, and the, and some background voices on the chorus, you know, well, when Paul Griffin sat down at the piano and started playing, did you and the producer finally, uh, look at each other and go, oh, yeah. uh, I think we come to an agreement now. We like this. Well, we, we agreed on a lot of things, but we disagreed on a few. And Paul Griffin played like five guys. You know, he was playing all over the piano. I mean, he just was rocking and rolling, and he was in church. It was gospel. It was everything, because there's a lot of theology in American Pie. So to have a gospel sound, a churchish sound, along with that stride and that rock and roll thing, oh, my God, it was 
Yeah, I mean, Ed really, really deserves to be the producer of that because he came up with him. Without him, we would have had nothing, honestly. Yeah, and just to, and just to think through all of that hardship, even the arguments, you made music history. And you ha- te- tell us, Don, about the, uh, the American Pie children's book called The Fable. How did that come to pass? Again, that is Spencer Proffer. His desire to do this, I think he did one for Graham Nash, uh, Our House, <clears throat> and his wife does these books, and I interviewed with her a few times, and she knew my story and loved the sort of the enchanting story of me as a paper boy discovering this tragedy and um, created this Donny Boy character and had, you know, the, the drawings and everything are very nice, and they're going to they're going to take this all away. I mean, there's going to be a Vincent book and a Vincent documentary movie. There's going to be several more children's books. Um, there'll be a total of five, I think. And, um, oh, yeah, it's all in the works. The, pr- produ- the publisher loves the idea, and they're selling books. You know, you can get it on Amazon. It's all out there, all over yeah, and the artwork is absolutely fantastic. I was actually reading through through the book, The Fable, and uh, it's a beautiful book. And I think even for people who love music but also have kids, it needs to be in their collection. Yeah. Well, they, if they have kids, a lot of times I mean, they listen to American Pie. You know, it's like a children's song, too. You well, know, to couple that with a book, and then as they grow up, they go on to other things, forget about all that, and then one day they hear that song again and say, oh, yeah, you know, and now I what's that about? And then you might want to ask some questions about what happened in America in the 1960s that still haven't been answered. Yeah. You know, so um, it's a good thing. You know, and I I know that back in the, well, especially the late 60s, America was definitely divided at that time and America's divided now. And I think that's one of the reasons why American Pie is the song that is forever timeless and even, ladies and gentlemen, if you if you have never heard the song American Pie, well, you need to you need to because it is a part of American history. And once I, you listen I to think it, you'll it's get it. A, I think the movie is going to be a nice thing for America at this point in time, and a reacquaintance with the song will be helpful uh, because we're all, you know, we're all Americans. We all obey the Constitution and we follow the laws and. Um, Nobody says you have to like everybody, you know, but you obey the law. Yeah, and I completely agree with that, Don. Now, how has the 50th anniversary American Pie World Tour going? Well, we're almost at the end of the American run. We've done about 40 shows in as many cities. It started off at the Surf Ballroom in uh, February, February 3rd, and then on the 8th or 9th of September, we have to fly over to England and start a European leg, which is going to last two and a half months. And um, I'm really looking forward to that. I've done many, many tours of this particular part of the world, and uh, it's always been a lot of fun. And it's, you know, different food, different people, different, different, diff- different thing. And I, I enjoy it. Well, Don, we are having a Elvis Week TV special coming up, and I know that Elvis Presley recorded your song, And I Love You So, 
What did that mean to you to have the king of rock and roll record it? And he also sang it in every concert until he passed in 1977. I could tell you a lot about Elvis Presley because I knew the Jordanaires very well. They were on a lot of my songs. They were on Crying. They were on Castles in the Air. They were on Since I Don't Have You. We made two albums together that had hits on them. And then we, uh, I brought them to England and we did a BBC television special there with them. And I brought them to Carnegie Hall several times as well and sang Thanksgiving with them. So I, I loved them all and knew them as well as you can know anybody like that. And um, they were, you could really realize that Elvis Presley was a really a dear boy. You know, he really was. He was, he was a, a very good hearted person, but later on they stayed away from him because he felt, they felt, they told me that he was, around some evil people and they don't like evil. The, the Jordanaires were very good Christian men and uh, they didn't like it. And so they said, no, we're, we can't sing with you anymore. And he, I think this is when, you know, he went down that bad road, you know, with, you know, one thing Gordon Stoker, I mean, this is a simple sentence I'm gonna say, but, he said, you couldn't tell the Presley's nothing. That's what he said to me. And, and it makes sense. You know, they, oh, they know what they're doing, you know. And, well, they did, you know, but he only lasted until he was 42, you know. Yeah, very much so. And, uh, but, yeah, you know, the thing with the Jordanaires, I mean, that is extremely special. I mean, one of the best background groups or best quartets on the planet. Yeah, and Neil uh, Matthews really wrote all those arrangements, you know, whatever those arrangements are, like Treat Me Nice, you know, any of those songs. Those are Neil's arrangements. And I have four hours of me and the Jordanaires rehearsing for Carnegie Hall. I've got four hours of us talking and singing songs, and, and they're in their, you know, work clothes, they're not dressed up, and I'm, you know... We're in my little apartment there back in Garrison, New York, where I used to live. I used to have a little apartment over stables where I had my horses. And we had a very good show. And we went over probably, I don't know, 30 songs or more. They had arrangements for everything. And uh, so that's all on. I'm going to release that at some point. Well, I can't wait to hear that. And uh, Don... Many blessings to you and your world, world tour and the continued timeless success for American Pie. And I want to thank you for uh, being on the show today. Well, thank you. Your name is Ward Bond. Yes. And you know Ward Bond, don't you? The yes, actor. I do. Yes, I do. That's, One of John that, Wayne's closest friends. That's right. <laughs> and uh, he's in so many movies. He's in uh, Wonderful Life. He's in, he, he's in even the um, Wagon Train. Oh yes, that's that. That was the you know, when when those people ended up going on television. It was usually just because they needed a steady job. They didn't really like TV, you know. They were movie <laughs> actors, um, but he was something else. There was. I'll tell you one quick thing. 
um, there's this lady who was in a, one of John Wayne's movies. You know, he always had a beautiful woman in the movie. So they would stay out in the middle, like Sedona, Arizona, or someplace, you know, way out there. And they'd be in like a little low-budget um, motel for like three months, you know. And so this lady had her room, and next to her room was this room where Wayne and Ward Bond and um, John Ford and, you know, two or three others would get in there, and they'd play cards, and she said they would curse all night long and keep her up. She couldn't get any sleep. <laughs> I can you imagine letting oh. all that tension off in that room, that smoke and all that use. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> There's a lot of testosterone in that room. Oh, you better believe it. I'm a, you know, I'm a Western um, aficionado, shall we say. I go even further than that. I mean, I, I have whole libraries on Western movies, and um, I go back to Tom Mix and oh. Buck Jones and Hoot Gibson and uh, the silent era, even William S. Hart. I love that stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about how America has changed is they just can't make a decent Western anymore. The last one was The Unforgiven that uh, Clint Eastwood did. That was the last really good Western, I think. And even that had a certain amount of profanity in it, which uh, cowboys were usually pretty good Christian men. They didn't curse. You know, they were sort of serious Christian-type guys, you know? Yeah. And so I, they have to I throw that, that in there. It's kind of sad. Yeah, I agree with that. Sometimes when I watch the, the modern-day Westerns and there's so much cussing in it, I'm thinking, did they really talk like that back then? And you bring up the good point. I mean, a lot of people back then, it was church on Sunday. Well, one of the things uh, an old-timer said, you know, who'd been around then in the 1930s, they interviewed him. He said everybody was real respectful because everybody was armed. <laughs> you don't want to cross a guy you know because he could get hurt that's right well don again thank you so much for being on the program it's been an absolute honor and a pleasure ladies and gentlemen the legend the icon the american musical storyteller don mclean and ladies and gentlemen the film documentary the day the music died is streaming right now on paramount plus so make sure you check it out as it's one of the best music documentaries ever filmed. Head over to DonMcLean.com for all of Don's music and tour dates. And remember, what do I always say? We buy the music. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. Okay, Ward. Thank you. Hey, thank you.